Hi there. Welcome to another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert. I'm Gord Whitehead. Rod, you accrued these financial rules of thumb over a long career in the investment business. You're a former portfolio manager, and and knowing you as well as I do, you have some hard, fast rules that you like to play by because they're basic tenets of really sound investment strategy. We covered six last week. We want to cover seven through 12 this week, and we'll start with the interest versus dividend rule. If you're comparing the return that you're getting off an interest-bearing investment with the return that you get from a dividend-bearing investment, you're essentially comparing apples to oranges. And that's because the tax rate on interest-bearing investments in Alberta is 48%, whereas the tax is only 31.7% for uh, a fixed income investment that pays dividends. So to make an apples-to-apples comparison, you need a ratio that allows you to directly compare the two after tax. And that's why we call it the interest rate equivalent ratio. And this is the interest rate or yield that you'd have to get on an interest-bearing investment that would uh, pay you the same amount of tax after, or cash after taxes that a dividend-bearing investment would. So let's say you had a dividend of 5%. You're thinking, well, I'm only paying 31% tax. What am I going to have to earn on an interest-bearing investment to get the same after-tax return? If you live in Alberta and you earn $50,000, the ratio would be 1.31. So you multiply 5% by 1.31. Get about 65 or Yeah, 6.5%, 6.57% to give someone in that tax bracket the same after-tax return as a dividend paying 5%. So that allows you to compare apples to apples. And frankly, if you find this a little confusing... There's a handy calculator at investforme.com that does most of the heavy lifting for you. You put in either the interest rate or the dividend rate and what tax bracket you're in and which province you're in, and it calculates it for you. So it's a very easy way for you if you have your investment advisor calls you up and says, I have a preferred paying 5%. You can say, well, in my tax bracket, I'd have to get six, almost 6.6% in an interest-bearing investment uh, to get the same after-tax return. It allows you to compare one type of investment at a different tax rate with another. And again, that website was called investforme.com. Invest for me, all one word. Okay. Yes. The 10% savings rule. Now, the 10% savings rule says that if you save about 10% of your income for retirement, uh, you should have enough to give you the pile of, of assets you need necessary to be able to retire. Now, this works well if you start investing in your early 20s. But frankly, how many of us really invested in our 20s? I know most young people, if they do anything, are going to put money into a home. And that, that I would consider a type of investment. But I see so many kids these days that are in their 30s and they really don't have any savings whatsoever. And if you're one of those late maturing kids where the light bulb comes on when you're 40 or 45, this rule, frankly, isn't going to work. You're going to have to save a lot more than 10% uh, to get you there. But still, 10% is... Uh, Probably not going to be enough, but 10% of any amount of regular savings is better than none. 
Well, you had that example of the lady from China that you alluded to in, in a previous episode that uh, built up a pretty handsome portfolio of investments, and that's what she did. She put put aside 10% of her investment, of, of her income every year, and she put it into investments, right? That's exactly what she did, and and, uh, and she started when she was young, and I don't know how she did it with four four girls that all went to university, but... She managed to she managed to keep uh, keep it all together, and she built a really good portfolio of just you know the the best blue chip stocks you can think of in Canada. Now there's a six month rule for emergency funds. What's shocking is that the latest numbers show that 46 percent of Canadians are two hundred dollars away from insolvency at the end of the month. Now that figure has jumped from 40 percent last quarter, so it's gone from 40 to 46 percent. And the main culprit right now is that we've seen interest rates rise. So mortgage costs and, and credit card and borrowing costs have gone up. But individually, what can take you to the brink is an accident, sickness, an expensive car or home repair. There's a lot of things that if you don't have any savings can really send you scrambling. And that's why your first line of defense should be an emergency fund, which is something most people don't even think of in their daily financial planning. And the general rule is to save enough cash in an easy, easily accessible account to cover three to six months worth of expenses. That should be enough to see you through just about any emergency. So do the math, try to set that money aside, and then if anything unexpected or untoward pops up in your, on your horizon, you're capable of dealing with it. The car purchase rule. Oh, I can't wait to hear this one. <laughs> or the 24, or the 24, 10, so 20 slash 4 slash 10 rule. Now, cars for some people are just like buying an appliance. It's like going out and buying a washer and dryer. They're simply a means of getting you from A to B. But for others, their ownership is driven by passion. It's a status symbol. And often they spend way too much money purchasing a car. For these people, emotion can often literally overwhelm financial reality. You know, or a Ferrari or a Lamborghini in the driveway might elevate your status in the neighborhood, but the combined car insurance, loan payments, extra gas costs could really sink you financially. Autos are not generally investments. The only person I know who thinks a Ferrari collection is an investment is a guy I know who's got about 30 of them. And what he plans to do is he plans to sell one every year for the 30 years he plans to live. And he said, that should give me enough. But that guy's got money to burn. And most of us, we don't find ourselves in that particular situation. On average, a car depreciates 19% the first year and 15% the second and third. So because it's a depreciating asset, the 2410 rule helps you keep those passions under control. It suggests that when making a sustainable car purchase to put 20% down, limit the term of the loan to four years, and cap the payments so that they're no more than 10% of your annual income. Yeah, that's a good one. That's an interesting math that works there. And, you know, when you talk about somebody having a collection of cars, I, I've always been passionate about automobiles, and I've never gone crazy in that regard, but I watch things like the Barrett-Jackson auctions from different places. It, my sense is that the, aside from the really rare collectibles, that sort of mass market collectible market seems to be softening a little bit, and I think that has something to do with demographics. Young people aren't really that interested in buying a muscle car. It's the old guys that want them, right? Yeah. I mean, who knows? 25 years from now, if you come out with a 
and you've had it in storage for 25 years or 30 years, maybe one of the low stamped Teslas that were stamped in the first 100, that might be the kind of car that tomorrow's rich people would want to collect. Would want to collect. But, you know, the idea of a 60s muscle car, I mean, frankly, most of us have been in a 60s muscle car. They don't steer very well. They're noisy. They're noisy. <laughs> they, they don't get very good gas mileage. No, and they shake like a washing machine on spin cycle when you yeah. take them down the highway. The suspensions are lousy. You know, it takes a special kind of person to appreciate that. And frankly, a lot of kids these days aren't even getting cars. So the idea that you're going to have a collector car that's going to be worth... A big a, chunk of dough? A, yeah, yeah a, a, a factor of 10 above what you paid for it today. Well, the millennials are probably not going to be interested in it. And frankly, they'll probably want to send it to the recycling bin to do their thing for the environment. Well, maybe the maybe they have somebody in the family that's got an old barn somewhere out in rural Alberta or Saskatchewan that's got an old Stanley steamer in it. Maybe that's one way they can hit the ball out of the park. All right, let's talk about the student loan rule. And that's the debt you can take on to get your education. And as a good rule of thumb, that should generally not exceed your career choice's first year salary. So if you decide you're going to get a degree in humanities or art appreciation or whatever it is, you're probably not going to make as much coming out of school as you would if you graduated with a degree in dentistry or engineering, engineering or medicine, medicine or, yeah. or, or accounting or whatever. So, you know, you really want to adjust your expectations and your borrowing to am I going to be able to pay it back? And it's always interesting to watch these kids on interviewed on TV. They go for a degree and they have no idea what jobs are available after they get out. They've just gone to get the degree because they, they like the course of study and they have no idea how much it's going to pay. So they rack up all kinds of debt and they come out of school and they stare like a deer staring into headlights when the loans officer tells them that they've got this astronomical $150,000 loan and, uh, you know, they're going to have to put um, a quarter or half of their, their income every month to pay this thing off. Well, we always hear about student loans being a huge factor. What, what's the average here? It says the average student, average post-secondary student carries a debt of $28,000. Yeah, can pay it off over 10 years uh, after graduating. So for most kids... 28000 in student loans. I mean, it's going to defer uh, certain things like expensive vacations, that hot car you wanted to buy, um, buying a house. But, you know, if you graduate with uh, literally being able to, most people are going to make at least $28,000 a year if they go to university. So this is manageable. And Canadian kids actually, there's some kudos to be had here. They tend to be a lot smarter about their finances than American kids are. American kids carry far more debt than Canadians do. Well, and again, this goes to that question of financial literacy in the schools. That's, uh, I think, just such a great plan to, to try and explain some of these things, especially about debt. Final rule, rule number 12, the home purchase rule. Now, we talked before about individuals and how much income they needed to have to be able to afford a house. Well, uh, this rule is, focuses on a family income, so you and your significant other. And it says what you're willing to pay for a home shouldn't exceed three times your family's annual salary. So if your family, between the two of you, you're making $100,000 a year, 
you know, somewhere between 300 and 350,000 is about what you should be looking at to buy a house. That way you're not going to get yourself in over your head. This ratio works for most places in Canada except Vancouver, Victoria, and Toronto, uh, which have a home price to income ratio of 11.2, 5.7, and 8.2% respectively. If you want to have a home and you're in southern Ontario, my suggestion is move. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you go. 12 rules, the basic rules that are important from an investment strategy, according to the financial coach, the financial rules of thumb. If you, uh, you know, you can always go back and review previous shows. If you weren't clear on what we were talking about, just go back and listen again. If you have a question surrounding any of these things that we're talking about, making money at cfcw.com, we'll get you to us. We'll get it in our inbox. We'll look at it and we'll answer it in upcoming episodes. We're trying to cover a lot of ground here, give you some background on a successful investment strategy. And we'll be back next week with another edition of Making Money on behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.